they treat someone differently than you, like they're a jerk and you're not, or whatever it might be. Your reputation will be tied to their reputation. I use a joke, I, would, I have a identical twin brother, and I said, growing up, I never did anything wrong, but I got blamed for a lot of things because my brother <laughs> did stuff wrong all the time. But um, our reputation is always Mark and Mike. I mean, every, that's just, you know, they went together. Same thing when you have a partner. Your two names will become one, potentially. If they do something you don't want, that they shouldn't be doing, you'll be tied to it. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, real quick before we get started, first of all, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us on the show and for listening uh, to all my loyal listeners. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, continuing to listen and support the show. If you can go on to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen and subscribe to the show, that would be fantastic. Spread the word too. I'd love to, you know, have this reach more and more people. So if you could share it on social media or, or, or and just talk about it to other people, that would be fantastic. And the last thing is if you can go on to iTunes and give us a rating review, uh, hopefully five stars, that would be great as well. It just helps us spread the word more and it helps us get continue to get uh, really good guests on the show. We've had some fantastic guests and I just want to be able to continue to bring fantastic value to you. Go on to our Facebook page too, Pillars of Wealth Facebook page. And I'd like to hear from, from you as a listener of you know, what you're doing in business, what you've got going on, what you are maybe struggling with or uh, being successful with, and then what we can do on the show to help push you to that next level. Maybe uh, questions we can ask our guests, maybe guests that we can get on the show to talk about certain topics, certain things that are really neat, you're needing uh, some, some extra support with. So provide for us some feedback on Facebook. Um, and you can also share this out on, on social media. That would be fantastic as well. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being a, uh, being a either new listener or a loyal listener. I definitely appreciate it. And we will get started with the show. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexterma with me today. I've got Mark Canny. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Todd. How are you? I am fantastic. So, uh, Mark, you are with Think Realty, and uh, you and your wife do some multifamily investing, some uh, coaching, consulting, all kinds of stuff. So, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and uh, what you got going on today? So, Think Multifamily. Oh, Think Multifamily. So we, sorry, we get confused all the time <laughs> with Think Realty, but yeah, uh, no, uh, yeah, Think Multifamily. Um, you know, as far as a little just brief background about me, I grew up in Michigan, had, you know, I know you're up, you're up in the cold too. I, I actually got out of there um, quite a while ago, but uh, started looking at real estate when I was 22, senior in college, um, made an offer, got accepted. My dad talked me out of it, <laughs> but, uh, and I, you know, quickly after that, I got a deal though. And then I was CPA for a while, continued to buy. Uh, smaller properties like two to four units and then um i was it consultant for a while at it company in 2013 i uh, started looking at buying larger multifamily, and that's when we kind of started and we, we bought a lot since then we're in we're five states so 
why why the multifamily then? Well, for me originally, even when I was young, I'm like, doesn't everyone need a place to live? You know, a lot of people can't afford to buy a house and things like that. So it just made sense to me. I'm more a little more analytical and it just it made sense. Now I didn't realize, you know, the thought of buying a hundred units when I was 22 years old just seemed like, you know, pie pie in the sky somewhat. I didn't know what syndication was. So, but my brother and I both have a twin brother. We're like, well, it makes sense to buy real estate. We both like real estate ever since we were little. People need a place to live. So when we start buying duplexes and three units and four units, and that's kind of, and until we figured out that, hey, you can go a lot bigger, faster by syndicating and, and raising capital from other people. Yeah. So talk about that. Talk about that change and, and, how did you make that jump from buying duplexes, triplexes, little stuff into the large, you know, multifamily? It was scary. It was never had to raise money before for anything. I tell people it's the truth. I asked my dad, I think for money twice my entire life. And, um, the reasons why I only asked him twice, <laughs> probably the first time, the second time I forgot the first time how it went. So, um, but you know, it was scary for me to try to go ask people for money, especially for deals we were buying before. It was just my brother and myself. But we started, I just started getting out being active, like going to meetups, uh, going to events, I kind of get a little more exposure, meeting people. Um, I am analytical. So I started analyzing a bunch of deals. The transition for me probably wasn't as big at that point in time, even mental anymore. I, I felt like, Hey, I can buy a hundred, hundred plus units. The one concern I have, which was a big concern, is raising capital. But I, I thought I had all the other, you know, uh, skill sets at the time, you know, analyzing deals and broker relationships and things like that, which I did. And um, really by building those relationships, letting people know what we're doing, you know, people are like, hey, I'm going to buy multifamily. And they wait till they have a deal to try to go raise capital. And, and none of their friends or family. We have a guy in our one-on-one -on -one coaching that, he bought a 114 unit deal in Atlanta. His parents didn't even know he was doing multifamily. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm totally serious. His mom found out from, he's in Hawaii. His mom found out from one of her friends that, hers, <laughs> that was on his distribution list. So um, probably not the best approach, but anyways, you know, letting people know, Hey, I'm, I'm starting to look at bigger properties. Um, you can just post things. Hey, I analyzed the deal today, man, that was rough. Hard to make the numbers work. That way people get to know that, hey, you're actually out there doing things, you're active, they see you at events more than once. That's the other thing, it just takes time to build that rapport with people. They repeatedly see you and then you start, when you get ready to, you wanna say, go through a deal with them, they know you've done a lot of steps ahead of time before that, whether it's social media and things like that. And then just providing value for people. At the time, I didn't really realize that, but now, teach people that, hey, if you have something you can produce, whatever that is, some sort of checklist or whatever it might be, give value back to people. Then they start trusting you a little more. Hey, this guy, you know, Todd's giving me value. He's giving me different checklists. He's giving me, you know, uh, 22 questions to ask before you invest. They start seeing you more in a, in a light where, hey, I, I trust this guy a little bit more. And it just becomes easier when they're going to try to start uh, going over a deal with somebody and provide an opportunity to them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it, it takes a long time to build that, you know, that credibility for one and then that trust and getting, you know, I think a lot of people think that, well, they can just jump in and find the deal and then get the money will come. 
Um, people tell them. Everyone yeah. tells them that. And it's and it's true when you don't really think about it, right? Uh, if if you haven't thought about how that money came, it's really easy to just say, well, you know, once you get a deal, people will invest in it. Right. Well, sure. If you've got the network built up, if you've got the trust built up, if you get, right. if you put everything in place already, then it's easy, then it comes. But what they forgot to tell you is how much time and effort they put into it yeah. leading up to that. Yeah, it's, it can be years for people yeah. to, to yeah. develop that for sure. So it, that's why I partner up with people that have already done it. If, you, if I go try to buy 100 units my very first deal, it's not impossible, but it's definitely very challenging and difficult. We've sold deals before. I would never sell to a first-time buyer unless they're just going to way overpay and show me they have the cash sitting in the bank to, to buy it. But even that, you're skeptical because they might find something and say, I want to back out of the deal and, and things like that. So I'm going to lead this a little different direction uh, than I usually do because you do coaching and consulting with uh, the Think Multifamily. Um, and how long have you guys been doing that? Coaching about 15 months. About 15 months. Okay. So I'm a new investor, right? I've maybe, maybe I've done some single families or a couple duplexes, kind of what a lot of people do. And I want to get in the multifamily. I want to buy a hundred plus unit apartment building. Uh, I, you know, I've done some, I've, I read books and stuff like that. Now I, I enroll in, as a coaching student of yours. What are the steps that we can take to be successful uh, and how do we get there as quickly as, as possible? Obviously knowing it's not going to be overnight. Um, right. We want to, you know, I, I want to buy a, Let's say I want to buy a property within the next six to 12 months. Sure. What do I need to do to be able to set myself up for success? Yeah, it's definitely doable. We did, you know, 20 deals our very first year of coaching, $180 million and people, some people, we tell people use about six months if you want to do your own deal much faster. Potentially, I'll go kind of some ways you can get into it faster. But end of the day, you know, education is great. We deep dive into every aspect of it. We teach a lot of things that, frankly, a lot of people don't teach. Um, but it's still just education, right? Until you start doing a deal, that's when you're really like, okay, this is actually real now. And But everyone's kind of wired some way. So just by talking with people, figuring out – Lots of times their profession or what they've done before, what they've invested with before. If someone tells me they're an engineer or IT, typically they're probably going to be good at analyzing deals. Yep. Just as a general statement. If someone's in sales, they're probably going to be good at finding deals and raising capital. Yep. It doesn't always mean that. So if you look at it and say, well, here are the ways, you know, hey, Todd, do you want to get involved in the deal? I'll tell you, frank, you know, frankly, the easiest way for you to get involved in the deal is have money. Okay. You say, well, I don't, I don't have money. Well, do you, you think you could bring money from other people? Do you know people that have, you know, could invest 50 to a hundred thousand dollars and you say, yeah, I, whatever. I raised money before things like that. But if you can find deals or analyze deals, get really good at that. Right. We teach that as well. Put earnest money down on somebody else's deal. Yep. So a lot of syndicators I've had money out on four deals before and I'm tapped out. <laughs> so if I have another fifth deal coming in, I might say, Hey Todd, you want to become part of the general partnership and put some earnest money down on a deal for me? And there's ways to structure that. So I wouldn't just don't do that. Like without really knowing what you're doing, but there are ways to structure that. Um, raising capital of the other, other big one. And some people have gotten a little more involved because they've 
they're more on the asset management side, what happens after their property closes. So everyone's wired a certain way. And I tell people, you know, if you want to try to get really good at all these different things that we just went over, it's going to take you more time and you can get really good at it, but you're going to, you're probably better off getting a skill set you already kind of have analytical or it might be and go really deep there and get really, really strong and then add value and let people in the group know, Hey, I'll, we have people in the group say, I don't want to analyze deals. I say, well, you know what? Brent actually wants to analyze deals. He loves doing it. So they partner up together. Brent gets part of the general partnership, even though he didn't find the deal. So I think the notion is people think, well, they always look at the things they're not good at. It's just human nature, right? doesn't matter what it is, gym or whatever. You're, you're always picking on yourself, right? And with this, you might say, well, I'm not good with numbers or I'm shy or things like that. Well, what are you good at? Use that, get it, develop it. We help develop that really strong. And then let people know that that's your interest level. It's okay to say, hey, this is an area I really like. I've gotten really good at analyzing deals. Or I've, you know, we have Kishan raise money on five deals for us. And Rafi's raised money on four deals. Like all in less than a year. And I knew both of them would be good at raising money. Even though they both wanted to do everything on their own. You know, Rafi, after three months, like, I don't have a deal yet. I said, why don't you raise money for somebody else's deal? He had, he's from Israel, lives there physically. And he was able to raise money on four deals in, in a year. So now he built his track record. You know, Kishan's in 650 units within 12 months as a general partner. And he can start using that story with brokers. And he's built his own track record in 12 months. So I'd say don't try to do everything on your own. Pick what you're good at. Don't try to become good at something just because you think somebody else. You see somebody else and you say, well, I see that Todd actually got into a deal because he's really good at analyzing deals. So I'm going to become really good at analyzing deals. Well, reality is you might hate it. So pick something that you kind of like. And it's usually you're going to like stuff that you kind of have already kind of naturally good at. Yeah, always – Always try to strengthen your strengths first, right? Yeah, yeah, I always look at I love, you know, uh, MMA, and I'm like, you know, you see certain people that get really, really deep in a certain area, right? And they start dominating, but end of the day, they still need to know a little bit about the other areas. If they don't, we saw, you know, what happens to people that don't know stuff in other areas. And the same with real estate. You still, if you're raising money, you still need to be able to understand what makes a good deal. How does it look? Yeah. But you don't have to be the guy analyzing, you know, 10, day, 10 deals a day. Yeah, you don't have to be an expert at it. You have to be knowledgeable uh, with it. It has to be a tool in your tool belt, but it doesn't have to be the strongest, uh, you know, most reliable tool. That's right. And we'll, we actually will partner people in our group. We'll help every step of the way. And it's really more of a family type environment. We call it family syndication, where if you are weak in something, somebody else is going to be strong in that area and they come in and help you and everyone shares in a, a bigger pie that way. So with your, uh, with your coaching, uh, program, is it, is it a one-on-one -on -one or are you guys, is it kind of more, you call, you called it more of a family. How, how do you approach that? Uh, it's one-on-one -on -one coaching, but we do have, we have events that we do. Some open to the public, some are closed just for the group. Nobody else can come to them. And then we have, um, scheduled calls group calls and then the one-on-one -on -one access is literally unlimited one-on-one -on -one access. Okay. We just right. find that if someone's really going to do deals, it's really hard. You know, we know coaches that say you get 30 minutes twice a month or 60 minutes twice a month. And I don't know how anyone can 
realistically do a deal on that schedule because that's not the way deals work. <laughs> you know, maybe have a 15 minute call or 10 minute call, but what do you do in those situations? So ours is more, you know, based on uh, demand doing deals and things like that. And we don't need to talk exactly about your fees because obviously that's a conversation after you decide if it's a fit, but when you're doing your fee structure, is it, is it like a, you sign a contract or is it more based on the amount of calls than that you do? No, it's, it's 12, it's 12 months. You pay a fee, you get 12 months coaching. You can renew if you want to at the end of their first year. <laughs> um, there is an agreement um, terms and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's unlimited. So most, a lot of people say, well, I want to have scheduled calls. I said, great. We'll have scheduled calls. But quickly what they usually find out is that, well, I'd rather have kind of the ad hoc because maybe I'm in the middle of looking at a deal and I have a question. People text me or call me or whatever it might be. Um, it just, it seems has worked a lot better. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I like, yeah, I kind of like that approach because you get an opportunity then to, you know, I get to contact you like you said, when I'm in the middle of a deal and we right. can talk more than just one time about that deal. And I don't have to wait two weeks to have a next, the next conversation with you or three weeks or whatever it is right. uh, where we can have a few conversations and then maybe I don't have to then talk to you for another month um, because everything's figured out. We're kind of through the due diligence and things are running smoothly. Maybe I don't have to talk to you until that deal is closing or closes. Right. And then we and can everyone's different. Again. You know, some people are really, really experienced that came into our group already. They're experienced and other people are brand new. Mm -hmm. Everyone has different levels, but it's, it's always about, we just coach a little bit different as far as how deep we go. We teach a lot of different things, you know, outside of just real estate too, about business and marketing and branding and things like that. that that's going to be important if you want to raise capital from people. So those are different things that we, we teach people. So you mentioned that you're in uh, quite a few different markets. Um, what are some key things that you're looking at to decide what market to go into? And uh, well, let's talk about that first. Then I got questions after that. Yeah. So we're in five states right now. And uh, we're going to look at a lot of the common things like job growth and population growth and landlord friendly and business friendly uh, supply coming online. We're, we're usually buying B's and C assets. So they're going to be, you know, seventies and eighties constructions, generally speaking. Um, weather can be a big factor. You look at, you know, U-Haul reports, people move to, people move away from where you're at <laughs> more than people move up that way. Right. Just reality. Um, because it's warmer in, in, in those aspects. And, um, and then there's certain things that are a little less, you know, tangible, like, you know, in Memphis, there's a pilot program there where you can, the city of Memphis will give you uh, a tax abatement, essentially, cut your property taxes in half, and then they'll freeze them for 10 years. And they're looking at freezing them for 25 years, extending that out. That's a big, you know, taxes are usually one of the biggest line items any, any expense you have category-wise. So there's certain things like that. Now, Memphis doesn't, it just has typical job growth, population growth, nothing uh, out of the ordinary. You reverse it, I live in Dallas, job growth, population growth, I mean, through the roof, right? But then people are building new buildings, like brand new apartments and giving three plus months rent for free. Well, how can that be all the jobs going here? Well, at a certain point in time, people will only accept so much. You can't have 7% job or uh, rent growth year over year. At some point it's gonna stop and it has. 
Um, it doesn't mean it's a bad market. I don't really buy right now in, in Dallas, although you know we'll still look here now and then, but we haven't bought here for two years. Um, even though job growth, population, all the other signs are there. And it's because you know everyone looks at your net operating income, cap rates to figure out what property's worth, which is, which is what everyone does in multifamily. At a certain point in time, logic has to come into it and say, well, I pay $100,000 a door for a 1970 built property when I can build it for the same price. Is that, a, is that a wise decision? I don't know. You have to decide yourself, but it definitely would make me start thinking through that process before I go pay $100,000 a door for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and that's the Twin Cities market is maybe not Dallas quite. Uh, yeah, Dallas, yeah. Is, Dallas is on steroids, but, uh, you know, we have some similar stuff going on and, uh, you got to look at, does it make any sense to be buying this 1960s or we have a lot of 1950s and 60s and 70s stock, a lot of 60s stock. Yeah. Um, and you're looking at buying these six, this 60s stock for 130 to 150 a door. And does it make sense to do that? Um, and everyone has to make their own decision. I'd rather go to markets that are a little less uh, heated, frankly. Yeah. We, we buy a lot in Atlanta. Land's starting to get, you know, heated, heating up for sure. We've mm -hmm. been there for two and a half years, and but we still buy there. Um, but some of the markets that are already really hot, I just think you have to be more cautious there. Sure, sure. Um, are there are there a couple like telltale signs you say? Well, the market I think is too hot uh, to really put a lot of effort into. Into avoid the market. Well, maybe not avoid, you know, if it's your home market, obviously like Dallas, you're not necessarily avoiding it. Uh, you're looking, but you're probably not. My assumption is in Dallas, you're not really spending major time looking for every deal. Yeah, no. And, you know, when you're borrowing at a five and your cap rate's a five, I think you're, you know, there's not, not a lot of spread there, you know. <laughs> um, people are buying, you know. <laughs> class B properties for a five cap, you know, in, yeah. in Dallas. So at some point in time, now you might say, well, I'm okay accepting a lower return. It's all about your investors. If your investors are okay, a lower return, it actually, I really love the Dallas market. I do. We just can't get the returns here. So really the, the cap rate compression, you know, four or five years ago for a class C property, uh, even some class B properties were eight, eight and a half cap. Now they're, you know, at five cap, five and a half. Wow. The compression is is you know drastic, so I think you need to start looking at that and, and consider whether what will happen and cap rates won't impact won't impact you unless you're going to sell or buy or refi and things like that. But um, and I do think the the per door, even though you know I would argue, hey, per door isn't as relevant in multifamily because it's a business, but the per door pricing does come into to factor in my mind in a market. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, one thing I do look at quite a bit is I look at where that cap rate has trended. And and as you said, if if you were able to buy an eight, eight and a half cap in a B-class property, and now we're selling at five cap, to me, there's some major red flags where we can go, well, New York City cap rates are compressed. Well, but if in New York City cap rates are selling at a, you know, a B class selling at a, let's just call it a four and a half. And traditionally it sells for a five and a half. Well, yeah. that's not nearly as much compression as when that's we right. look at other market, like a Dallas and even like the twin cities, for instance, right. our, 
our B class property was about the same, but eight, eight and a half cap. And now we're looking at about a five and a half uh, cap yeah. for a B class property. Yeah. Crazy. And, and so when you look at that and you say, well, how far could property values fall? You have to look at back at history and say, well, traditionally they sell at seven, eight caps, probably good chance it could go back to a seven and eight cap. And I think that's why focusing on cash flow is so important and in, in not banking on appreciation. I know people will buy and say, well, I think it's going to, well, we all think our hope is going to appreciate, but reality is there's a good chance cap rates will go up. They will eventually and your property be worth less. But if it's cash flowing nicely and you like the property characteristics physically and things like that, then just hold it and ride it out. Yeah. So, so choosing a market that you can get good cash flow um, with some of those fundamentals that you talked about earlier, where you have job growth, population growth, um, good government, uh, right. You know, e easy to, easy to probably, you know, evict and all that kind of stuff. No rent control. No rent know. control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not an option. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Well, let's talk about uh, kind of your business and how you guys operate that. Uh, give us a couple uh, tips, on maybe three tips on how to operate a business successfully. How do you operate real estate? Because one thing I see is a lot of real estate investors are transactional, right? They want to buy a deal. They want to get a deal. And that's all they think about. They don't think about actually operating a business. Yeah. I, so after you close. So one thing I would say even from lessons learned is, you know, don't, don't always go with the cheapest provider. So you think, oh, well, this property management company is charging me less or this general contractor is charging me less. There could be a very good reason why they're charging you less. It's yeah. reality. Um, I would say, you know, give your property management company some time because when you buy a property, it's not uncommon where occupancy goes down as an example, just because maybe there are tenants in there that shouldn't be renting and things like that. So give your property management company time to operate and we use third party managed companies, but at some point in time, they need to be, you know, accountable right now. People you're putting in there leaving are people you put in there. <laughs> your property management company, right? Not the old one anymore. And uh, making a change is a, is a big deal. But at some point in time, you have to kind of lay, uh, you know, you lay it on the line with your property management company and say, if you're not at this certain occupancy by X, uh, then we're going to have to look for somebody else and see how they can react and whether they're going to pull it up. Um, because we've seen the person on site and it's not, it's not necessarily always a property management company, but the person they have on site will make or break the deal. Yeah. I've seen properties go from 70, you know, from 90 some percent occupancy to 70, you know, 78% occupancy in, in reverse because of the person on site. Um, and then I would say, I mean, I guess the third one, I would always, this goes back to the raise piece of it though, always raise more than you think you need. Mm. So have working capital and then preferably have a contingency as well. So working capital, we usually do one full month's rent of all the units. Um, if you took the revenue for all, all units, uh, gross potential rent and then a contingency because, you know, I tell people I've never been stressed about having too much money in the bank, but the reverse has been true. You know, you're like, Hey, I wish I would have raised more money or done that. So always raise more there 
always have it there because things can come up. And there are a lot of other reasons you want to do that. Maybe you have a rehab project and you have to pay vendors. We will flow sometimes two, three hundred thousand dollars. Well, if you didn't raise that money, what do you do? The lender's not gonna most lenders won't won't um, give you the money before the work's done. Right. So now you're stuck. You have to pay vendors, wait a month, six weeks, whatever it is from a lender to pay you, and you get stuck that way. So always have more cushion there. If you have more money at the end, you're just give it, you know, you can pay it back to to investors, but make sure you have that cushion because if not, you're gonna be pretty stressed. So Mark, what happens if, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this yourself in any of the deals, uh, either you've been, you know, a part of as an investor or, or been GP or maybe one of your coaching students, uh, clients, um, they didn't raise enough money. They got, you know, in a cash crunch. How did they handle that with the investors? Uh, have you seen that where somebody's done that and they handle it with the investors maybe poorly or, or handled it well i think um so i have a deal that i've done over 30 deals i have one deal that we definitely had an issue on it wasn't so much a property and it was really more of a, a partner without going into a lot of details but reality is i had to put money into that like a fair bit of money my own money um the other option people can say we'll do a, do a capital call and people say was well, it mandatory and you know there's really no man i can't go in your bank account and take money from right. me, you know right now you can be diluted meaning that your equity stake could go down if other people put money in i think communicating out what's going on um some investors will get really antsy and so communicating what's going on in some cases you don't have a lot of information to communicate and you, you might need to just say, hey, you know, we don't have an update right now. We're working with the attorneys or whoever it might be, whatever's going on. Um, someone that handled it somewhat poorly, I was invested in a passively invested in a deal, a hotel deal. And I'd say that was handled very poorly um, all the way around. Um, and it was really more of a, their own doing, if you want to say, that caused a problem. That's what made it worse. And they were just asking us all to put money in. And I looked at it saying there was no way of saving this deal in my mind. I didn't want to put additional money in, things like that. And they kind of just went dark for a while. And then after a while, they kind of got removed as managers. So I think communication, no one wants to communicate out bad information, right? You just don't. But it's better to do that than not communicate it out. And in some point, reality is you're going to maybe have one or two investors. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say, what you communicate out. They're going to still potentially have an issue, just reality. So you need to get used to that and, and try to address it. In that situation, did, was it uh, because they underfunded a renovation or was it operation? You know, they, did, they did some really silly things like, uh, no joke, hired a, a felon. No, they knew they were, he was a felon actually. And actually she, she was a felon and actually um, got convicted before or for a felony of stealing money from a company. <clears throat> and you're working in a hotel with cash and things like that. So just some, uh, you know, doing some rehab things with a hotel, you need to get that approved by your, your flag, right? So if it's Holiday Inn or whoever it is, they have to approve what you're going to do for renovation. Mm. They end up, you know, I don't know what it was, spent $40,000 on tile and things like that, never got it approved before they did it. So just some, 
bizarre things, frankly. So, so basically poor, poor management of the project just in general. Uh, yes. they're, they're not managing their employees. They're not managing their right. innovations. Uh, just exactly right. Poor business decisions. And then, so then w- you said they, I think they asked for capital. Is that they what did. you said? They did. But then you said they went dark. Is, did that mean they asked for capital? People didn't respond? Uh, no, uh, they, well, timing wise, they just, um, I don't remember exactly the timing when they asked versus they weren't communicating out. Um, uh, and they were, they were eventually removed. So I don't remember exactly timing wise. They asked for capital from people. Some people put it in. Uh, some people didn't. And then eventually just, you know, the whole deal fell apart. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear what, you know, how deals fail. And, and it seems like most deals when, when they fail, it's because of lack of communication or lack of money. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I'm super excited to announce the North Star Real Estate Conference that uh, I am putting together along with a few other friends. And we are expecting to have a great crowd there. This is going to be September 20th and 21st in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities area. And hey, it'll still be warm. And we're going to have a ton of great speakers there. We're going to have uh, some motivational speakers. We're expecting to have uh, speakers talking about a lot of different commercial real estate topics, multifamily and commercial real estate. So we want you there. We would love to have uh, a great crowd there. We would love to have you there. And the cool thing with this conference is all the profits are going to uh, benefit charity. They're going to benefit Junior Achievement specifically, who they uh, serve underserved uh, youth, and they they bring financial education to them. They not only teach financial education, but they teach the the kids how to be entrepreneurs, how to be business leaders, and how to really do fantastic things after they're out of school and and moving on. So that's who we're going to be benefiting. We're going to also have a charity gala. It's going to be a fun event, and I'd love to have you attend. So again, it's called the North Star Real Estate Conference. Check it out. We've got uh, links that we'll put on the show notes. Uh, We would love to have you there. We'd love to have you attend. Speaker lineup is coming and uh, that'll be announced uh, shortly. We do have a few speakers already uh, lined up, so you'll be able to see that. We've got Trevor McGregor will be our keynote speaker. He's a master platinum coach. So you're going to love this event. We are going to just have a ton of fun and learn a bunch and also benefit a great organization as well. I will see you there. Check out our show notes for the links. What's a what's a big mistake that uh, you guys, maybe one of the bigger mistakes you've made in business or, or a mistake that you want to talk about? And how have you learned from it? What have you taken from it? Yeah, uh, definitely a mistake that other people make too. But I bought into an existing LLC. So I'll explain that in a second. I had a partner that I had two other deals with already. He owned a property. He's buying out a partner. I raised capital, got my, uh, uh, bought into the existing LLC that he already had. Never, ever, ever do that. Don't do that no matter what. People do on a regular basis for taxes and things like that. I did it once and never do it again. 
Well, what happened in that case is that um, after we removed him, after a couple months of being there, uh, a lot of liabilities started showing up, never reported on the books. So liabilities from eight, nine months before I even got involved in the deal, all of a sudden started showing up and they're tied to the LLC. So the LLC is now responsible for those. And if we had a new LLC, a lot of those issues would have gone away. So that's my, my toughest lesson for sure. I would never buy an existing, I don't care if it's real estate or anything else. If you buy into a software company or whatever it might be, a restaurant, you don't know what's out there. Um, maybe never even known or recorded or lawsuits or slip and falls, whatever it is. So don't do it. I, I really don't do it. <laughs> Interesting. And did you, when you, did you do due diligence on the LLC? Yeah. So the LLC was clean. Um, you know, he provided financials, uh, actually audited financials from, from CPA, things like that. But um, long story short, he was appears to be in collusion or he was in collusion with some vendors saying things were done that weren't done. And uh, these invoices showed up, you know, from work that was done. Hey, I, I painted this interior nine months ago. Well, here's my invoice nine months later. Hmm. Really? So things like that were, yeah. were happening. So, I mean... In this situation, whether it's a partner or whether it's LLC, you could do all the due diligence in the world you want to, but I just wouldn't do it. Sure. Because you're risking you're risking too much. Yeah. 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 Well, it makes sense. Um, so, I mean, you obviously deal with a lot of people wanting to get to that next level. What's what's a couple of ways that you think are, are great? ways to get to that next level? What kind of advice would you give somebody that wants to step it up? Yeah, I mean, you'd be active. You need to get out there, go to events, meetups. Um, I mean, I talk to people all the time. We do events too. People are like, when you come into whatever their city is, like, well, I don't, I don't have any plans. Might never go there. I don't know. Sometimes you just might have to get on a plane um, and, and visit. That's what we've done. We go to different events. I know you do as well. So getting out there, being active around people, doing what you want to do is the biggest thing. And then second one, um, partnering up with somebody that's done what you want to do. And I would suggest that somebody not necessarily just that's done what you want to do, but also has the same core values that you have. So um, yeah, great point. if someone's like, well, they treat someone differently than you, like they're a jerk and you're not, or where it might be. Your reputation will be tied to their reputation. I use a joke, I, would, I have a identical twin brother, and I said, growing up, I never did anything wrong, but I got blamed for a lot of things because my <laughs> brother did stuff wrong all the time. But um, our reputation is always Mark and Mike. I mean, every, that's just, you know, they went together. Same thing when you have a partner. Your two names will become one, potentially. And if they do something you don't want, that they shouldn't be doing, you'll be tied to it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, I've, I've had partnerships uh, that are, that are like that where, you know, the, the other partner maybe doesn't quite have your same integrity or whatever you want to call it or, or same mindset. And those oftentimes don't go well. And, and even if they do, it's better not to be a part of it. Cause like you said, it's, it's Mark and Mike. It's, right. it's just part of it. And once, 
something happens. I had, I had a partner that uh, nothing happened while we were in business together. But when we split, a lot of people knew us as partners and there's some deals that went south on his end. Um, and some things that he did wrong and my name was brought into it. Oh yeah. And, and and we had been split for well over a year and it was still like, you know, people just associated the two of you together. Right. Um, Trust your gut too, right? I mean, trust your gut because people were like, I don't know, something doesn't seem right. In reality, if you're married, have your wife meet him. Yes, absolutely. Because I don't know whatever it is, but, uh, our wives seem to have a lot more <laughs> of that. They just go, yeah, that is the person doesn't seem right, you know? Well, and, and, and I think part of it is oftentimes we're, we're attracted to the, to the opportunity. Right. You know, it might be a great deal. I mean, if you, if you look at a great deal, somebody wants to partner with you, you're excited about the deal, you're excited about that. And sometimes it's easy to ignore and forget who you're going to be entering that deal uh, into and I've right. all I've been lucky I've I've I had a deal in particular I'm thinking of right now that it was very very much like that the deal was going to be a fantastic deal and ended up you know finding out a few things too much about one of the p- partners that was going to be a part of the deal and, and pulled out I'm so glad I did because yeah and make just, sure you have everything in writing I mean yeah. don't have handshakes don't have even if it's someone you trust you you end of the day can you really trust them yeah and make sure you account for everything that everything is going to go horribly wrong make sure you have ways to exit a property i have a property i want to sell a partner of mine just us and then he doesn't want to sell it's been like three years well that's my fault right and my contract doesn't their contract doesn't say that agreement doesn't say that he, he has to sell a property so having like tag along clauses and things like that for sale you want to engage an attorney in that, unless you're already one, don't try to do it yourself. Too many yeah. things you think about. Yeah, definitely great advice there. Always consult an attorney and make sure you have it spelled. Nobody expects to go into a business relationship with things going wrong. But the reality is, I think most business partnerships, as the longer they last, there's stuff that comes up. There might not be so much stuff where it's a disaster, but if you have everything together, you can avoid a lot of that disaster anyway. That's right. So, um, so where's, uh, you know, where's your company going? Where's think multifamily in the next, you know, five, 10, whatever years, uh, where are you guys going? What are you doing? Yeah, I think we'll continue to focus, you know, primarily on multifamily, um, from an asset class perspective. Probably go to a few more, few more markets. Uh, continue to buy if we find good deals. We have good broker relationships to allow us to get some good deals. We have a number of deals on our contract right now. We did a lot of deals last year. And uh, end of the day is really helping people that go from, like you said, small or from nothing to potentially trying to build their their own track record and buying, you know, smallest deal anyone I grouped did was 90, 90 units last year. That's a good wow, first deal. That's really good. Um, and they can start there and then they can potentially quit their job if they want to leave a legacy for their kids. And we're building a community of people that like to hang around with each other. We do a cruise in June. So people go on a cruise and just have fun together. It's not always business. Yeah. We always want to have that aspect of it that we, people can feel like, Hey, no matter how big we got, 
um, you can be knocked down in one day. I tell my yeah. kids, you know, I mean, everything you have can be taken away one day. So don't think you're all that great or anything like that because there's somebody out there bigger and better than you, right? So be happy with what you have. Help other people. You know, that's how you're going to get significance. And uh, be happy for them. If someone does something, but, you know, someone had a bigger deal than I ever did before in a group and I was happy. It was, I wasn't jealous. I know another guy that had a group and he was really jealous and oh, I need to do a bigger deal now and stuff like that. It's like, why don't you, why don't you just be happy for the guy? You know, they're, they're doing a big deal and they're changing their entire life and potentially their whole, you know, family tree, you know, can be yeah. changed. by it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I really like what you said there. It can all be taken away in, in one day. And it's so easy to, I think for some people to, they forget that they don't think about that. They, they think about the success they're having. They pat themselves on the back, which is just, just fine. But we also have to stay humble and, and understand that, you know, it can all be taken away in one day. Like you just said, I think celebrating is, is great. It's something that we're not great at doing, frankly. And, you know, you said the, the whole thing about, Hey, you can be happy with what you're at. I mean, I tell my kids, you know, you know, from the Bible, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Right. So if he's opposing the proud and you're acting proud, then you're, you're potentially in for some, some rough days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's uh what's your favorite book? Uh, I mean, it's probably the default, which had poor dad. That's really what changed me the most. And um, I don't read as many people ask, like, I don't read as many books. A lot of people, frankly, I do a lot of research. So I'm more of a researcher. I'll pick different topics and just research them. Um, and get kind of different aspects from all different types of people providing info on a topic rather than just sitting down you know, some of the books I read, I'm like, man, they could have done that in 20 pages. I don't know why. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I get frustrated with it. I really do. So I'd rather, I'm really more of a researcher. There, there are plenty of books and I, I, you know, I'm looking at my bookshelf in front of me <laughs> right now and there's plenty of books that I, that exact same. It's like, why is this a book? Like this yeah, should be, okay. This should be a blog post. Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm reading this 200 page book. It's like, oh yeah. I've done this in three pages. Yeah. So I, so I do like, I like researching a lot more. Good. Uh, last question before we wrap up, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. Um, I mean, having more than one source of, of um, income is going to be key. I mean, just it just is because something else can happen, right? I, I invest in other asset classes too outside of multifamily as a passive investor. Um, I think uh, building the relationships or, and or being easy to work with and have a win-win mindset. Um, I tell people, if you have the opportunity to screw somebody, don't. It's a very small world, and and uh, I've seen examples of this where people have been burned because of that. Um, and the third one I would say is um, surrounding yourself with a team that you know has skill sets that you don't have. So if you a lot of people think they're you know hey they know every area. Reality is you're going to be better in other areas, and having people that you can rely on. It's a control thing too, right? When I did IT, I didn't like, I really had a hard time at first turning things over. Once you get a team in place that you can trust, then it makes your life a lot easier. Yep. 
The yep. team's important. How, how do you gain that trust? Is it just something you have to work through or how do you gain that trust? It seems like trust for me, if I look at even, even outside of real estate, it's been uh, usually when you're going through a hard time and someone that stuck with you. Hmm. Um, I have IT products and we had some real estate examples too, where um, some people stuck, stuck with us, some people didn't. So the people that stick with you during the hard times when they don't really have to, or there's an easier way out for them, or they stick with you anyways, that, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, another question I've kind of been trying to, uh, to add, what do you like to do to give back? For us, it's uh, well, one for coaching from a real estate standpoint, which has been, I mean, just phenomenal. My wife and I both fell in love with doing that. It's great. Um, and then on a more other you know, charity perspective, we both have big hearts for orphanages. So um, we support orphanage in Nigeria. My wife, Tamil, has been over there a couple of times as well, Guatemala. And then sex traffic industry is a huge, mm. huge yeah. thing that those are the two, two big things for us. Um, you know, most of them usually deal with kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Good for you. Um, so last thing is how can our listeners get in touch with you? Probably best way, uh, websites, think multifamily.com. And my email is Mark, M-A-R-K at think multifamily.com. Perfect. Well, Mark, uh, definitely appreciate you coming on the show. Tons of value you've added. So appreciate that. Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you have a fantastic rest of the day. You too. A special thanks to Mark Kenny for joining us on the show. Appreciate him spending time with us and adding a ton of value. It took uh, a lot of things from this episode, but three things in particular that I just want to kind of go over again. First of all, he talked about giving value, bringing value to people. Um, making sure you're adding that value to them and not just trying to always, of course, take value. Uh, the next thing he talks about is, you know, making sure that you have and build multiple streams of income. Um, and then the last thing he talks about is relationships and making sure you're building relationships for a win-win mindset, not again, not just about uh, you and how you can benefit from them, but how they can benefit from you as well. So a lot of great things um, that, that Mark really talked about. Those are just a few of them. So go back and, and listen to this episode again and, and choose you know, one thing that you're going to really take from this episode and going to work on uh, for the rest of the week. So, uh, and then make sure you connect with Mark. Uh, that's in our show notes. So connect with him and uh, subscribe to the show if you haven't already. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I'm Todd Dykes-Hermann signing out. Make every day Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go again. Go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business, and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday.